grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this morning is from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. For we know that if the tent, our bodies, is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan and long to put on our heavenly dwelling. Dear friends of Christ, today's Father's Day, and of course we honor you fathers. Uh, what a privilege it is to be in the reflection of our Heavenly Father. Um, God is the one who created fatherhood, and He Himself, being the Creator, understands what fatherhood means. And, and fatherhood means sacrifice. It means that we are the head of the household. It doesn't mean we're the boss. It means we're the greatest servant. And our Heavenly Father taught us that by sending His Son to suffer and die for us. He taught us that servant heart, that, that way to love. And sometimes as fathers, we don't do that so well to our children, to our wives, to our families. And we need a Savior. Well, we learn about that Savior today in our text. And we learn that we are jars of clay. And being jars of clay, of course, we're broken vessels of sin. To dust you are, to dust you will return. Just a jar of clay, just an empty vessel. Um, they've, they've guessed that you're worth about five cents, all told, by the time we melt us down into the, into the elements. Five cents worth of stuff. Broken vessels, in whom our Lord Jesus Christ has hidden the treasure of His gospel. Broken vessels of clay in which... Our God, the creator of the universe, has, has hidden his Savior, the body of his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? That in us lives the creator of all things. Well, today's Father's Day, and it got me thinking about Paul, who talks about all this, and, and uh, about Paul's family, because Paul never mentions his mom and dad, uh, not once. The only family member that Paul talks about is his sister, and uh, he, he mentions just a little bit his, uh, his sister's nephew, I mean uh, Paul's nephew, his sister's son, you know, who uh, I guess had, had saved him from a Jewish uh, hit squad when he had been arrested in Jerusalem, so he was thankful for that nephew. But beyond that, all we know is he was born in Tarsus. Uh, he was later educated under the world-renowned rabbi Gamaliel. So he was a very smart man in the in the uh, you know in the shadow of Moses, who was uh, one of the smartest men in the world at that time, and so was Paul. And back when Paul was still called Saul, as a young man, he dedicated his life to eradicating the Christian faith. He killed the followers of Christ. However, he later, later regretted, of course, everything that he had done. He later regretted all that evil. But isn't it curious how a former hater of Jesus, how a former violent persecutor of the Christian faith can speak so boldly can speak so confidently that he says twice in our text, we are always confident in Christ. We are always confident. He says we're always groaning, and yet we are always guaranteed. 
And so with that, let us consider our theme. Groaning, but confidently. Paul started this whole conversation two chapters earlier. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new promise, of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills. The letter, you know what that is? The letter of the law. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the rules of God. And the law of God kills. The law of God condemns. And that's why you sit out there and you hear sermons from pastors and, and, and we talk about the law and you say, boy, all God's ever does, all God is is He's angry. God's always angry at sin and it depends on the pastor. Some pastors preach a whole lot of gospel and not a lot of law. And some preachers preach a whole lot of law and not, and not much gospel. How difficult it is to keep the balance. But the law, if it if it's, if it's the one that's prominent, you won't feel good about yourself because the letter of the law kills, condemns. The letter of the law destroys. And that's the way Paul was. He, before he came, became a Christian, he lived under that law. He was a Pharisee, and he loved the law. And he felt like he was pretty obedient to that law. And... You know, as most people go, indeed he was. He was very dedicated. Dedicated so much to the point that he had dedicated his life to bring glory to God by killing Christians. And knew how much that pleased the Lord. He was a self-righteous Pharisee. Thought he was the best of the best. That God should pat him on the back. Come on in, Paul. You're a good guy. You deserve to be in heaven. Well, today many people think the same way that Paul thought before he realized he was saved by grace alone. Most people think they don't need the Bible. Most people think they don't need Jesus. They don't need the church. They don't need to worship. They don't need to learn about God. Most people believe they're moral. Most people believe that they're upright, that they're okay. There's nothing wrong with them. Compared to other people, they're better. And if push comes to shove, they are confident. They are confident that they will be with the Lord, even though they don't know truly if the Lord exists or not, but they're confident that they will somehow, if there is a God, that they'll somehow please him. And they, this God, whoever he is, will take him to heaven. Why? Because how could God possibly refuse somebody like them? And yet the spirit of the Pharisee lived in them. The letter of the law. I live thinking that God's going to Reward me because of what I've done. God's going to reward me because of what I've accomplished. The letter of the law. 
it's interesting how these pharisaical hearts are so quick to judge others. Because you're not as righteous as they are. And yet how quickly they refuse to be judged by anybody, much less God. And sadly, there's that letter of the law, that pharisaical heart in each of us. That law lives in us. We think we can keep the God's letter of the law, or at least we think we should get credit for at least trying to keep the letter of the law. Sinful people always feel like our sinful hearts are better than the sinful heart sitting next to us. Paul once thought that way, but then something changed. When Jesus converted Paul from a condemned unbeliever who lived under the letter of the law to a redeemed child of God whose sins were washed away by the blood of Christ, Paul dedicated himself to that truth. Paul dedicated himself to preaching about the grace of God, the undeserved love of God, the forgiveness of God, because he had received grace, and Paul understood that. The murderer had been forgiven. And so we have, we have the joy of understanding what Christ has done for us. And we talk about grace, we talk about Paul, and of course Paul understood he had a new outlook on life. And this new heart, this new outlook, no longer did Paul live by the letter of the law, now Paul lived by this free spirit called grace. It is by grace, he wrote, that you've been saved, by grace, by God's undeserved love. And then once he realized that it's not something he had done, God changed his name. Once he was converted, God changed who he was. And then he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Paul means little. That's my name. <laughs> it's, it's not a name of honor. Paul wanted to make, or God wanted to make sure that this Christian killer, this hater of Jesus, knew that he was just little, a little man. Nothing to brag about. God wanted to make sure that this former Christian killer understood you are nothing. You don't deserve my favor. You hated me, and you hated my followers. And I'm the Lord, and you don't deserve my mercy. I am the Lord, and you don't deserve to be forgiven. I am the Lord. But I forgive you. You are Paul. You are little. But you're saved by my undeserved love. You are saved by my grace. Once Paul was saved, he never forgot that grace. And from God's perspective, all of us shouldn't either, because we all should have our names changed to Paul. Because we're all small. We're all dependent upon Christ for everything, especially our salvation. And that's why we're such confident Christians. Because he has saved us. He has sent his son. We are small, but our God is big. We are nothing. But our God is everything.
and he died for sinners to wash away our sins and to make us who we are. God wants you to have that confidence. He wants you to have that assurance. He wants you to live with that kind of commitment. I am a Christian and I know who I am and I know where I'm going and my sins are washed away. Why? Because God guaranteed it through the blood of Christ. Love to see, hear that kind of faith expressed a little more frequently. I'm saved because God has placed His name on me. In holy baptism, God put His name on you. God changed Saul's name to Paul, and He put Jesus' name in you in the waters of holy baptism. Saved by Jesus, saved by grace. Well, if we're so blessed by God's undeserved love, this grace, then why are we still groaning? If we're so blessed by the favor of God, the kindness of God, why is life so hard? Why is life such a chore? Why are there so many difficulties? Why are there so many trials? Why does life always end in death? Always. Well, it's because of sin. However, Paul gives us hope. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. Tents are our bodies, and tents are temporary shelters. When we fell into sin, this flesh and blood was not meant to last forever. It's like a tent. Have you ever been camping? You know, we always used to take our kids in a tent, and and it's amazing how you try to fit seven people in a tent. It doesn't work very well, and of course all the kids are up all night long, and, and boy, it was always frustrating to put up the poles. Have you ever tried the, those things? And then you get mad, and you start forcing them, and the tent poles bend, and the canvas begins to, to, to wear out, and they have holes in it, and pretty soon the tent won't even stand. It's time to throw it away. Time to get rid of the tent. It's worn out. It's old. And that's our bodies. Our bodies groan. Our bodies get old. Our bodies wear out. And then we have to, just like a tent, discard them, put them in the earth. So they turn back to dust. Paul talks about that. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. Now, here he's talking about nakedness. He's talking about being clothed. He's talking about saving faith. That your confidence that you believe in Jesus, you're confident for what your Savior has done for you. So you're clothed in Christ. You're clothed in His righteousness because Christ kept the commandments for you and Christ wiped away all the commandments that you have broken. And no longer do you live by the letter of the law. You live by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and His blood. And so, not be found naked without faith. Don't die not believing in these promises. If we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, we have his perfect life and we will be saved. And so Paul continues, For while we're in this tent, we groan and we're burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed without faith, but to be further clothed by our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by eternal life. You know, Our body is a tent. Even unbelievers know this. Oh, they see it. They feel it too. They are are dying. 
And they know it. But even unbelievers, they spend a lot of time pretending like our bodies aren't tense. And what do unbelievers think is going to happen to them after they die? Well, they think somehow they're going to live. They think somehow God's going to have favor on them. They don't know how, but, and they don't know where they're going to live, and they don't know if there is a God, but if there is a God somewhere, somehow they're going to live. And you, you, you hear this from them. They die. They never believed in God their whole life. And now that they've died or one of their loved ones have died in unbelief, they say, well, we don't know where they are, but we know that they're nearby. They're watching over us. Okay, that's all fine. How do you know that, number one? And number two, what happened to their bodies? What happened to their body? That's what I want to know. What happens to their bodies after they die? The thought of it terrifies most people. When my father died in 1990, we drove away from the grave, and there was nobody there, no pastor, the crowd was gone, there was nobody. And all I could think of was his body rotting away and worms filling it, that body that I loved being worm food. Very uncomfortable, isn't it? Well, God gives us a wonderful promise. And Paul reminds us of that promise. He says, we have this treasure in these jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Our bodies are going to come back to life, not because of what we're going to do, but because of what God has promised will come to the children of God. And Paul sees beyond this body. He sees beyond this, this tent. He sees a future permanent dwelling. He sees the treasure of salvation hidden within and says that we die so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And he's, he's talking about our resurrected bodies. You know, as Christians, it, it always fascinates me how when we're dying, we think that somehow we're not going to live again. So, somehow that these, these bodies aren't going to come back to life. And, well, then, then what we do is we go to heaven, we kind of float around like a bunch of angels, and we don't really know what we are. Well, I know who you are, I, you know who I am, and that's who we're going to be for all eternity. Oh, for a while, our spirit and our bodies are separated, but when Christ comes back again, we're brought back together, given our new bodies. You say, how do you know that? Because God has given us this promise as a guarantee and pledge. A guarantee and a pledge. Our text says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Do you believe the guarantee? Do you believe the grace? Do you believe the promise? Or do you live by the letter of the law? The letter that condemns. The letter that puts us on our knees and makes us call out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Do you live by the letter of the law? Or by the grace of God that flows to us through Christ Jesus? Oh, sure, our body's grown. <laughs> yeah. But we're confident 
We groan, but we're confident. Why? Because our bodies are going to rise again. I'm getting older. I'm not worried about it. I've got an eternity where I'll have a body that will run and jump and play and have fun. And we'll be given a permanent dwelling, not a temporary tent, but a building, the Bible says, a building from God. Not a house made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. We will be given a building, a permanent body that will never, never grow old, that will never, never groan again, that will never be sick, that it will be, have no more tears because all the old things have passed away. Behold, God says in our text, He's going to make everything brand new, including you. So how do we know it's true? God has guaranteed it. Paul wrote, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You can almost see the smile on Paul's face when he was writing uh, Pastor Titus. We ourselves, he wrote, as speaking of living by the letter of the law, we ourselves were once foolish, Pastor Titus, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and our pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy as we hurt people. Hated, hated by others and, and hating one another. There's so much hate in the world. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. When the goodness of God appeared, something changed in us. Not because of the works we had done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And that washing and regeneration is talking about the baptism that you have, the holy baptism that washes your sins away, the baptism you have that God placed on you. And Paul continues, with whom the Holy Spirit poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being declared holy, declared perfect, declared justified by His grace, we may become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. You get it? You're heirs to a certain hope of eternal life. So do you believe it? Do you have that confidence? We are groaning. But we groan confidently. And that's what Paul tells us. Therefore, we are always confident. We know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by the things that we see. We live by, th by faith, not by the things that we feel. We live by God's promise. And that's outside of us. And we cling to what's outside of us, not what's in my heart. My heart is sinful. Don't trust in your heart. Trust in your feelings will always rob you of your hope in a heartbeat. That's why we cling to God by faith. We cling to all His promises. And Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. Yes, we groan, but we're confident. And that's why Paul says these words and ends with these words. So we make it our goal to please Him. Whether we are at home in the tent, in our body, or away from it. We seek to please Him. 
because we know we're saved by grace. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.